it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Well, welcome to the Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 147. I'm in the driver's seat right now, but don't worry, Dave is right here. We've got a lot to talk about, and I'm going to be asking him a ton of questions because he's been watching this particular topic especially closely and knows a ton more than I do about it. And so it will be a good episode for me to ask questions because um, I'll be coming at it from the mindset of a beginner, and I'm hoping... uh, that a lot of people are feeling that way too, and you'll be able to answer a lot of our questions. So what's up with the Fed? First off, tell us what the Fed has been doing lately, and then maybe we can explain what they are and what they've done lately in respects to like the 2008-2009 Great Recession and some of the events since then. But uh, what what have they been doing and how is that affecting the economy and the coronavirus and everything like that? Um, right uh, boy, that's a good question. So the, the Fed has, for those of you who are not familiar with what we're talking about, the, the what we're referring to is the Federal Reserve Bank. So this is the central bank for the United States. And in essence, what they do is they are there to help stimulate the economy or slow down inflation. So their basic two rules are they, they want to create more jobs and they want to, they want to control inflation as best they can. So the way that they do that is they use funds with the banks to try to create more money or reduce money in the economy. Now, does that mean that they physically print more money? Not necessarily. Uh, they do do some of that, but the majority of what they do is they create money by creating money with the other banks in allowing them to buy bonds from the federal government, so treasuries. And then that money is um, is taken away, is not taken away, it's used as deposits to lend out to us to buy stuff, cars, you know, buildings, restaurants, whatever it may be, houses, all those kinds of things. And so that's how they put more money back into the system. So what they've been doing recently with the 
coronavirus hitting us, the pandemic that has gone through the world, they have taken their balance sheet and basically exploded it. They've just kind of opened everything up and said, whatever it is, we're going to buy it. So the first thing that they did was they lowered all the interest rates. So uh, the interest rates are what really kind of drive lending and borrowing. So the, the idea and the theory is, is the lower the interest rates are, the more people are going to be willing to go out and borrow money to buy things because money is so cheap. So if we're going to buy a car, we want to buy a house. If, if uh, businesses want to borrow to try to grow and expand their businesses, they want to buy more equipment or they want to buy businesses, land, whatever it may be, the money that they're borrowing is that much more cheaper and it costs them less to borrow the money. So they're going to be more enthusiastic and more willing to do it. So that's the whole theory behind when they're trying to create more leverage in, in the economy, I guess, is the best way of putting it. So the first bullet that they tried to shoot when everything started to go sideways was they lowered the interest rates from around one and a quarter to one and a half percent down to uh, zero to 0.25 percent. And what that did was it was in it was really intended to try to lower the interest rates so much that people would start borrowing money to try to get the economy going again. But then we kind of got hit with a double whammy of everybody had to shut down. We all had to start working either from home or a lot of people lost their jobs. I think to the tune of like 18 million people over the last two weeks, almost 10% of the economy is now not working, which is a staggering number. And so what's happened is, is that with that combination, then all of a sudden there was no people that could borrow money because people weren't working. And so now what they're doing is they're flooding the market with treasuries to try to prop everything up. So Andrew was asking me a little bit about that. So what's been happening is they offered, they, they pledged that they would buy up to $50 billion a day of treasuries. And in and of itself, that may not sound like a lot, but when you think about that, 50 billion a day, that's 250 million, 250 billion a week. And then that's $1 trillion a month. So the, the balance sheet for the tread, for the, for the tread, for the Fed generally runs around three and a half to four billion or trillion, I'm sorry, at, at one time. And so the, they're, their budget has gone crazy. They've bought so much money. They've expanded their their balance sheet. I think it was almost $2 trillion in the last couple months, uh, which is unheard of. And they've done all this to try to prop up the economy because they have felt like that they've had to step in and just flood the market with money to keep everything going until we can get back to work and find out what's really going to happen with everything. So that was kind of a long answer, but does that help kind of answer that question? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. So let's let's circle around real quick. So when when people say the Fed, I think uh, when you're not well versed in economics and understand how that beast kind of all works, um, you mm-hmm. did mention at the beginning it's it's um, a group of banks, but um, remembering that and then remembering that their function is, like you said, to reduce inflation and also um, spur the economy and spur economic activity. Um, the, some of the numbers you threw out um, can be pretty frightening, I think, when we hear that because, A, we start to think 
we, we associate it with like the government itself when we need to understand it's a separate entity and B there can be a positives and, and a good side to what they're doing. Um, so maybe let's talk about that first. And then, you know, after that, let's follow through with how it could be bad for investors and in the economy, um, which is, I think what most people focus on, but let's focus on the good parts of that first. So, you know, how does the fed essentially fueling all of this liquidity into the economy uh, outside of like helping people, or I guess, you know, you mentioned how it, it makes people more incentivized to take out loans, but how does that work in the economic machine, if you will? Um, and how does that all, like, how is that, how would that benefit Joe Schmo on the street or somebody who's looking for a job? Um, because it, it, it's all interconnected um, yeah. at the end of it. Yeah, it really is. So, really what it comes down to is when they're putting more money into the system, it just means that there's more money to use to buy things. So for example, if they're for Joe Schmo, <clears throat> excuse me, he, he may not directly benefit from having a lower interest rate, but maybe his employer does because he's able to go out and buy more equipment that allows Joe Schmo to get more jobs and to get more money for the business which allows his employer to give him more money. So if Joe Schmo is making $10 an hour and his boss can go out and buy more equipment that allows him to get more business for the business that Joe Schmo works for, now the employer can pay Joe Schmo more than $10 an hour. Maybe you can pay him 10 to 12. Maybe you can pay him 12 or 14 bucks an hour. So that's more money in Joe Schmo's pocket. Now, the cool part about that is, is that now he can take his newfound winnings quote unquote, and he can go out and buy more things. So he can afford to maybe buy a new car or maybe he can buy a new house or he can buy some of those electronics that he's been dying to have, but he hasn't been able to afford them because he wasn't able to make it on what he was making on his paycheck. So, and now that he's spending more money, he's putting more money into the economy, which in turn helps the businesses that are selling those TVs or those cars or those homes and that in turn goes into the banks, which are used for deposits, which the banks can use to turn around and use those deposits to lend more money. So it's, it's just kind of an, uh, it, it's, it flows in a, in a circle of life, if you will. And that's how encouraging people to borrow more money at whatever level it may be all helps put more money into the system because people are spending the money when it's in a contractionary period where people are holding on to the money. Like that's what they're afraid of right now with everybody losing their jobs and people are, you know, concerned, you know, yes, the government is trying to help by expanding unemployment benefits. And, you know, the IRS is trying to work to try to get us the, the money that they, passed for the stimulus package just recently. All those help put money back into our pockets, which we will use to spend to buy things like groceries and things that we need, which puts money back into the system. But that's really kind of how the whole, that's that's where the benefit can be to just the, the, the average everyday person when they're trying to lower the interest rates. Yeah. So, so from how I understand it, basically you have that, but it's not all flowers and roses because you could have too much money to flood the system. And so the economy almost needs to balance. I just recently watched a show where they talk about 
um, the oxygen levels on the earth need to balance and at all, you know, too much would be bad, too little would be bad. And so when you talk about liquidity and capital and money flowing in, if you have, you know, you can't just have this cycle that goes on forever where Joe Schmo gets a raise, Joe Schmo puts more money. At some point, the way that I guess human beings are wired and the way that people with their own self-interests working all in the system tend to do is you start to get people that head towards the extremes where some of them kind of abuse the system. And so as you get things to expand and to boom, and then um, certain people take advantage of that system and then uh, certain other people maybe get too aggressive and get over leveraged. And then, you know, eventually they need to, the consequences kind of show up with that. And so you have this cycle that permeated upon itself to create a boom, and then it can also collapse upon itself. And then now it can cycle downward in the opposite fashion. So talk about maybe the downward spiral and then what the Fed tries to do to counteract what can happen there. Well, the the downward spiral can be when there's too much liquidity in the system and borrowing becomes a crutch to prop up businesses. And I think that's one of the arguments about kind of what's going on today with the stock market. And one of the concerns, I guess the, uh, when I, I have free time, so I spend time on Twitter sometimes and there's two main topics basically that of the people that I follow. Uh, one is the pandemic stuff, obviously. And then the other one is going to be the actions of the fed and everything that's been going on. There's a lot of people out there that feel like the fed is propping up unnecessarily companies that really shouldn't be being propped up. Uh, a particular favorite of everybody on Twitter right now is Boeing. Uh, the people are feel like that Boeing is getting a handout, even though they've spent so much money buying back shares and they borrowed a lot of money to do some of those things. And so that's where people feel like it's not really fair that, that they're getting that. But what is happening is, is that when there's, too much liquidity. And, and as you were saying, people start getting aggressive and doing things that are maybe not ethical and trying to line their own pockets. Then what happens is, is that the, uh, the dollar starts to, in essence, devalue. And so things start to become not as valuable and people have a hard time selling things because the... Hey, you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Well, I guess at a certain point, um, I, I don't know if this particularly goes to like devaluation, but um, on one token, I can see if certain spending was fueled by debt and then that borrowing dries up, then the spending that used to depend on debt can't be spent anymore. And so that can kind of spiral downwards. And so I think the fear, especially when you talk about the Fed having fired all of its bullets is, is the, the fear that they've lowered interest rates so low. So as interest rates come up, the opposite effect starts to happen, right? Where it becomes harder to get a loan because, yeah, because the interest rates are more expensive. And so if this business now that used to spend a bunch of money on equipment can't afford to, borrow any more money because they're not solvent 
And then so they're spending less. And then so the person, the business that they were buying their equipment from now has a lower income. And so it kind of spirals down negatively. And if that happens too fast and too aggressively, it can really do serious damage to the economy. Um, does that kind of. Yeah, that's, exactly. that's one of yeah. the many ways. I mean, and then all, obviously there's, you know, the corruption and, and everything else that goes along with with that, too. But I yes. think that can be one major factor that at least the Fed looks at when they when you talk about the supply of money itself. Right? Yes. And, and, that, and, how, and yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly it. And they they spend a lot of time analyzing the data of inflation and deflation and how much money is in the system and how it's being used so that they can assess what they want to do as far as interest rates to try to control inflation as well as try to control the money that's in the system. Because like you were saying, too much money in the system can eventually become a bad thing because they'll get to a point where they don't need to keep fueling the system. They won't need, you know, they, they said today, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. is like the hugest waste of, of money ever because all it does is, they say it goes to the shareholder, but at the end of the day, once the stock price goes down, then it didn't really go to you, you know? No, no, it didn't. It, and it really only goes to us if we sell it when it's at a higher price. Yeah. If we sell it when it's a lower price, it doesn't come to us. It, it only it only benefits the people that are in the C-suite that have stock options tied to their compensation. And if they're selling when the price is high, then obviously they're the ones that are able to benefit from that, from that circumstance for sure. And one of the things that you mentioned just a minute ago, I think is something that we should touch on. One of the things that the Fed spends a lot of time, as I was saying, analyzing the numbers and, and determining what their path is going to be, the economy never just flows in one straight up or down line. It, it, kind of ebbs and flows and there's lots of talk about economic cycles and I'll admit I'm not super versed in that yet but one of the things that I have learned about some of these things is that as the economy goes through ebbs and flows there's going to be expansionary and contractionary periods of fed the fed using their money to try to create those circumstances and they will as you said they will stop lending money at a point when they don't feel like it's necessary to continue the economy going in a direction that it's going in and that can over time cause what you're talking about where there's the kind of the flip side of this where instead of it being easy now all of a sudden it's harder to borrow money and those companies like you were saying that were relying on that instead of relying on their revenues and their cash flow now they're going to be in a harder place to be in and the a lot of the commentary on twitter about this is that there has been a lot of conversation recently uh people have been afraid that we're falling into the next great depression. And there's a a guy that I follow on Twitter. His name is Colin Roque and he, I'm probably butchering his last name. So forgive me if, if I am, but he writes a a blog called pragmatic capitalism and smart, very smart guy. He's brilliant. He really knows the stuff. And one of the things that he's been talking about the last week or so is he felt, he has felt like that the fed has really stepped in and, and done a fantastic job. And he wrote a, a blog post on seeking alpha uh, a few days ago. And 
one of the things that he said in there was that this is not going to be the next Great Depression for several reasons. The first reason, excuse me, is that this is not the same circumstances that are causing an economic downturn. This is self-induced in that we are forcing the economy to stop. The economy was not doing poorly and then crashed. We stopped it because of everything that was going on with the health situation in the country. And I'm not going to argue for or against the right or wrong of that. That's not this. This is not the place to have that conversation. But the the point that he was making was valid in that the depression back in the in the 20s, 1929, when it first started, that was caused by the economy just basically collapsing. That it was being propped up to a point that it didn't need to be and it fell on its own. It had nothing to do with an outside force. There wasn't a world war. There wasn't anything else going on that caused it to fall. It fell on its own. And his viewpoint was that the Fed had stepped in. At that time, they did nothing. They basically just said, if a company is going to die, it's going to die and so be it. And they just kind of let everything crash around them. And they didn't try to step in and stimulate the economy until it was too late and they did too little and it did basically nothing. Whereas in 2008 and 2009, under somewhat similar circumstances, the Fed did step in and started quantitative easing, which at that time was a newer uh, style of stimulus that the that the federal banks could do. Japan was the first one of the first company, countries that I'm aware of that started doing this type of stimulus. So the United States, when our Federal Reserve started doing that, it was far more aggressive than anything that had ever been done in the United States. And so it caught everybody off guard. But at the time, it was felt like it was needed and necessary to, to prop everything up. The concern that a lot of people on Twitter had was that through the years, it kind of has gone off and on, off and on with QE up until present day. Now, present day, uh, Cullen felt like that they have really stepped on the gas and have really fueled what we've been able to stabilize or he feels like has stabilized the economy until everything kind of washes out with the pandemic. And then we can assess what we need to do at that point. But he felt like that this is not a great depression. It's it's not even in the same ballpark because it's not apples to apples. Again, we stopped the economy. It did not stop because of economic forces that were causing things to go badly. Things were not going badly. And you could argue things were going great. Uh, again, I'm not going to argue that. But what I will say is that things were not going badly. And then we stopped it, which caused everything to happen. And now the Fed is stepping in to try to prop everything up. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. 
Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Okay, so we talked about how, um, you know, with interest rates and how the Fed can use those as a lever and, and how that affects the, the, the supply or flow of money through the economy. Um, one last, I guess, negative thing we should mention too is, which I think obviously on the minds of a lot of people, the effects of inflation and how that, um, particularly in the US, how that affects the dollar um, when you have too much money printing. And so, um, like you mentioned, there might not be a literal printing of money but when they do QE, when there's, um, I think just several months ago, they called it something repo. And then now lately with, with the junk bonds, which is completely unprecedented as well. Um, from my understanding, that has a similar effect to as if you had printed money. So how how can all of those moves kind of combine? How does, can that affect the dollar and why does everybody freak out about it? Well, I think they're they're afraid at some point it's going to start to devalue the dollar bill where it won't be able to buy as much, not necessarily here in the United States, but overseas. It won't have the same power. It won't have the same power that it does today. Right now, it's basically the currency of the world and the people on the flip side of the argument of the Fed are are concerned that with the continual printing of money, it will eventually devalue the dollar because it'll get to the point where it just won't be worth as much. Uh, what, if you look back at the history of money and how it works, one of the theories out there about the fall of the Roman Empire is the devaluing of the money. Uh, at the height of Rome's power, their coins were 
basically all made of a high value metal, uh, silver or gold. As their economy started to worsen and they started to run out of physical money, they started having to substitute for gold and silver in the money that they used in circulation because they didn't have as much gold or silver to put in the, in the money. And eventually the, the, the coins that they were using became in essence worthless. And the soldiers that they were trying to pay out in the frontiers started deserting because they couldn't get paid. And so that left the borders open, which allowed the barbarians to come in and kind of everything fell from there. But there's a lot of people that feel like that that was one of the things that led to the fall of the Roman Empire. So coming back to the United States, right now the dollar is probably the world currency, right? So yeah. if it's if it's devalued at a, at a certain point, then that makes it worth less. Now, you and I were talking a little bit off air beforehand about how the the government is kind of propping up some of these things like you're talking about the junk bonds and and repo and corporate bonds the government has now buying corporate bonds as well as as junk bonds which means that they're putting money into things that are very very risky whereas before it was they were only buying items that were uh, treasuries, which were considered safe and secure because they were backed by the the full faith and backing of the United States. Now, the government is, uh, one of the concerns is that by doing all this, they keep propping everything up and it's devaluing the money because it could lead to a a, a depegging of the dollar against everything because it becomes so cheap because it's not worth anything anymore. And that's why you see a lot of people flying to gold or to Bitcoin. Again, I'm not an expert on either one of those subjects, but I know a lot of people are talking about both of those as hedges against the dollar in case the dollar becomes devalued to the point where it is not worth as much. And you mentioned something about, um, I don't know. I, I found it interesting that the, even while everything was crashing, even gold was crashing too. Um, when we had the panic several weeks ago, um, and we're, you know, the, the U S isn't the only government to be printing, um, I know they're printing the euro a lot and, and a lot of the other central banks have their printing presses on too, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because it's all, all of this money has to go somewhere. Right. And so, you know, we can speculate and kind of put our, we can put tin, tin foil hats on and, and speculate about the fall of, of the U S empire as long as we want, or, you know, we can kind of just, focus right now on, on what's in front of us. And so you mentioned the buying of corporate bonds, which I had never heard of the Fed doing before. Um, and I was trying to think, you know, it, it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound necessarily that, that much of a bad thing. You know, um, if the primary goal of the Fed is to provide liquidity, right. And, and to put capital into the economy, well then, if they're doing it through this avenue, well, sure, why not? But then as I started to think about it more as you were talking, it's, you know, if some of these loans default, well, now all of a sudden you go from the economy having a liquidity problem to could the Fed 
have a problem if they're not, you know, if a lot of their investments are not getting paid back, you know, they have to have a reserve of some point too, right? And they need to keep a solvent balance sheet as well. What would happen if if they had too many risky bets not pan out? Yeah, that's the and that's the scary part of of what they're doing and and it's it's unprecedented. It's it's never been done before and that is one of the the huge concerns if they're buying a bond for Microsoft or Johnson and Johnson which are both AAA rated bonds that in and of itself is probably not as big of a concern but it's more of a concern if they're buying bonds of say Carnival uh that would be a concern uh because their their bond rating I'm sure right now is probably not the greatest and so that would be a concern because like you said if that company that they're buying the bonds, it is helping them survive, which is great. But in the long run, if it doesn't pan out and just picking on carnival for a second, if they are the one that ends up having to default on their loans, then that would be not necessarily catastrophic for the fed. But if enough companies like that do that, then that would be, yes, a, a very big concern. And that's one of the concerns about the propping up of the junk bond market, because those are typically companies that are very risky, very insolvent, not a lot of cash on their on their balance sheets and are struggling for funding. Excuse me. I don't know. Not not always. Yeah. I feel that the whole junk bond thing is really great for making headlines at the same time, um, there are plenty of great businesses that are called junk bonds, quote unquote, um, just because, you know, I I, I, feel, I feel like the, the way that the bonds are rated isn't always necessarily 100% correlated to how risky those bonds actually are. Uh, like, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds about about how they rate bonds, but there's plenty of AAA rated bonds that have eventually gone bankrupt. And there's plenty of, let's say, triple B rated, which would technically be considered junk bond, right? Which are just below and that top tranche that are j- just fine as far as long-term health. So I don't know, like, I guess it, it really depends on what exactly they're, they're buying, right? Like, do they exclude? Did they um, disclose that? I know you had a fantastic blog post where you talked about uh, it was a post you called "Navigate the Federal Reserve Balance Sheet with the Simple Guide." And so, talk a little bit about that. How much do they disclose? How much do they not? And how can people like us who are interested in it get informed about exactly what they're doing? Well, uh, that's a great question. So the the Fed publishes their balance sheet just like every other public company uh you can go to the federalreserve.gov and you can find a link there for their balance sheet and you go look at it every single day they publish a new one every thursday at 4 30 i believe breaks down into four different parts i'm sorry five different parts and each part talks a little bit about the different sections of the balance sheet as well as the full balance sheet. So they kind of break down the securities that they're buying, the length of term, and some of the other aspects of the breakdown of the balance sheet. Specifically, they don't tell you what exactly they're buying. You can just see the amount that they're buying 
and the duration of that particular security, whatever it may be. Uh, so I didn't see anything on there that told me that, Hey, I'm, they're buying bonds of a particular oil company, for example. I, I didn't, I didn't see anything like that. So I, that part of it, I, I, I would admit, I don't know for sure, but I can tell you that when you look at the specific dollar amounts and the duration of all the things that they're buying, you can see all that on there as well as the repos and any sort of mortgage backed securities. Those are kind of the, the big, the big functions on there. I, I would just be curious. I mean, I don't even know if that data is out now, but you know, it would not shock me if the actual percentage of funds that are going to this junk bond category, if they were so proportionally low that, you know, people are freaking out for like little reason, you know, like yeah, as so an example, um, you know, Warren Buffett recently sold some Delta stock and some Southwest, Southwest Airlines stock. Yes. So I saw comments online about people being like, Oh my God, like get out of Southwest and airlines are trash, blah, 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 blah. He sold 5% of his position in Southwest. He, he did sell a lot of his Delta stock, but it was a 5% position. So it's like, when you look at the numbers and realize when you're looking at big numbers, you need context in it, you know? So, I mean, I don't know how that stands with, with what they're doing now, but I guess there are some cold, hard fact numbers that we do know, such as you talked about their balance sheet growing by a significant amount compared to what it's done in the past. Um, so I don't know. So some things, I guess, to consider. Maybe some things are overblown. Maybe some of it it's not. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think. Uh, I think over the next couple of weeks, it will be interesting to maybe touch back on this subject. In the fact that uh, I could do a little research and see if there is any indication of exactly how much of that they are doing, so that we can give kind of a, a, a you know a a comparison, so that people can see that this is what they're actually spending on those subjects so that it has context. I think that's probably the, you know, the best, the best way to do that. I don't know. Like teach a man to fish, right? I think the, the blog posts you did and, and you really have a great series that, that you did on the blog. So if people go to eInvestingforbeginners.com. Uh, we made a new little category on the right sidebar which we called economics 101 and so those are filled with posts from one of your favorite bloggers mr (laughs) dave ahern and uh he has a whole four-part series on the fed so if you want to talk about the history of the fed and the structure of it so kind of like you know how we were talking about it's made up of a bunch of core banks in different cities um so he, he breaks down like what that really looks like and then uh, a much better breakdown about how it affects the economy than I, my layman terms ever could do. And then obviously the one that we just talked about where you talk through and, and show a nice guide uh, going through the balance sheet of the Fed. And so that's definitely worth checking out. The, the thing I liked about your, I mean, all of your blog posts have always been just really well researched and, and really thorough. And I think a lot of people appreciate that. I know I certainly do. Um, I liked how the Federal Reserve can be a really touchy topic. I think it it incites a lot of emotions with a lot of people. And I think there's a lot of just misinformation and ignorance about the topic. 
my, myself included. Okay. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to say I'm better than anybody else, but what I like about the blog post you did is I felt that you presented it in a very neutral, unbiased way. Um, for whatever reason, it just didn't seem like you had an agenda for tor- you know, supporting the Fed or, or going against the Fed. And so I know it can be a, a somewhat political issue. Um, it can be an emotional issue and it can just be really confusing. And it's just amazing how you see the stock market jump on Fed news and, and it never makes sense. You know, I, I look at an event about the Fed and I think, oh, that's that, that's really bad. And then the stock market jumps or it's like, oh, good job, Fed. And then the stock market drops. So, you know, t- a tough topic to cover for sure. I just appreciated how uh, you presented everything very fairly, very thoroughly. And, and it's something that I think if people are interested, they should definitely go check that out. Well, thank you. It was it was a lot of fun to, to write and and frankly, to learn about, too. It 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 was a subject that I've always kind of had an interest in, honestly, and I didn't know that much about it either. And so it was a lot of fun for me to really kind of dive in and learn as much as I could about the subject. And I agree with you. There's a lot of mythology around the Fed and a lot of controversy, and there's a lot of conspiracies around it too. So it was really kind of interesting. Uh, You and I both read that book that was uh, kind of really – help spark some of my interest in this, not necessarily because of the the theories that the gentleman was espousing in his book, but just the history that he was talking about was, was kind of fascinating to me. And, and it is, it, it has such a big impact on our economy and the stock market that I felt like it was something that should be explored and try to help people learn more about. Oh, it's super timely. I mean, especially now that they're dominating the headlines over the past month and, for better or for worse, you know, we'll see yeah. how that plays out. Um, I'm not a currency expert or a foreign policy expert in the yeah. slightest. Me I think I just, <laughs> I, I just, I tend to have a very optimistic view about, you know, maybe that's the patriot in me. But, yeah. you know, I, th- I think we can't not say that the fact that so, so much innovation and, and so much, of the major parts of technology are still here. I think that's a very bullish thing for you know for 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 the economy and and for the dollar itself and so it makes me still feel comfortable in in buying stocks and and seeing and you know just kind of you know kind of watching it all but but trusting that the economy will be fine over the very long term. I would agree with that. Definitely and if people are interested in learning more than beyond what I was able to to write about, uh, Ray Dalio is a fantastic person to investigate. He has a, a great book, uh, the debt crisis, big debt crisis, that was fantastic. And then the uh, thirty minute video. What was the name of that again? How the economic machine works. Yeah, that is fantastic. That oh, that really yeah, one of my favorite videos. Yeah, that, absolutely. I, I, yeah, I, I find. Economic, even as somebody who loves the stock market, I find economics pretty hard to follow. Uh, <laughs> that video is probably the simplest, and I feel like it helped conceptualize so much more. Like even more than his book, like the the navigating debt crisis thing, I really, really had to concentrate when trying to mm-hmm. read that thing, and I feel like a lot of it still went over my head. But that yep. video, uh, you know, millions and millions and millions of people have viewed it, and even people who do economic policy have said 
that that's influenced their their decision making. So, yeah, I mean Ray Dalio, uh, head of the the best hedge fund ever up to this point, right? Definitely somebody to listen yeah. to. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. I totally agree with that. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our conversation for this evening. I hope you enjoyed Andrew and I's conversation about the Fed, and I hope you guys learned a thing or two. Uh, if you guys have any questions about anything, please don't hesitate to re- reach out. Uh, I'm here to help as any way that we can. So is Andrew. So without any and, further ado, I'm going to- and sorry, we do Hello. have a ton of questions that have piled up, and we will get to those eventually. Keep sending them in. They've been fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, we will. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety. Emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.